Hey, Chris. How you feeling about this week's show? Sean, it's a cruel, nasty world out there, and it's, it's our duty to make the best of it. Not to indulge in ridiculous dreams, but to be productive and useful. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, Chris. But I don't believe it. Oh, don't tell me you still fancy yourself a podcaster. I am a podcaster. Oh? All Debt Burton's film school graduates are. Even if they live in tiny old attics, even if they dress in rags, even if they aren't pretty or smart or young, they're still podcasters. All of us. Didn't your father ever tell you that? Didn't he? If I find you up here with this USB microphone again, I will throw you out into the street. I'm Chris Kippa. And, and, and I'm Sean Hills. This is Circle Takes. When her wealthy father goes off to war, an imaginative young girl enrolls at an elite boarding school that stifles every creative and fun impulse she has. She soon receives word that her father has passed away, and she's forced to survive as a servant to her former classmates. This is A Little Princess. You know, it's based on a 1905 novel called A Little Princess. Mm -hmm, with apparently uh, three different film adaptations already being made, including one silent one. Yep. Found life in 1939 in a Technicolor film starring Shirley Temple. And uh, fun fact, I don't know if it's an official fact, but the uh, X original story was seems to have been written in the 1880s. But I guess the first publication didn't come until about the late 1880s or 1890s, um, but definitely in, in early 1900, which I don't know. I just found that kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know how like the publication rights and all that stuff worked back then, but it seemed like you could write something and then not really make it official until a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, we're talking about A Little Princess, directed by Alfonso Cuaron, screenplay by Richard Lagrevanesi and Elizabeth Chandler, produced by Mark Johnson, starring Liesl Matthews as Sarah Crew, Eleanor Braun as Miss Maria Minchin, Liam Cunningham as Captain Richard Crew and Prince Rama, Vanessa Lee Chester as Becky, Taylor Fry as Lavinia, Heather Deloach as Ermengarde, Kelsey Mulrooney as Lottie, Rusty Schwimmer as Amelia Minchin, Arthur Malay as Charles Randolph, and Errol Sitahal as Ram Das. Randall's wise servant who later befriends Sarah. Yeah, no, and Arthur Malay was uh, Toodles. In Hook. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. I remember that. Lost his marbles. <laughs> he lost his marbles. As soon as I saw him on screen, I was like, is that Toodles? Yeah. It has to be. Not to mention a few, uh, I made a few notes about how it, it kind of does a few of the same things Hook did. Just a few little, little tiny things. Mm, gets its hooks into you, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> also starring a slew of child actors in their first roles or their earlier earliest roles and then of course a surprise cameo by uh, one of the best character actors out there ever vincent chivale as mr barrow um, mm. great great you remember him from uh, from ghost uh when he was kicking the cigarettes in the <laughs> in the uh, subway what i wouldn't give for a drag <laughs> i love that dude <laughs> But yeah, that's our casting crew. At, I believe this is Alfonso Cuaron's um, American debut, too, correct? I think so. And his uh, second film ever directed. Yeah. Second feature. Yeah. 
Why it's known or not known, I'll tell you. I will tell you. Tell me. If you grew up in the 90s, um, before, well, before the internet as we know it now, uh, and even when we had the internet in 95, 96, it just, it just wasn't the same. It was a little slow and took a long time. It wasn't as dynamic and vibrant mm. of an experience. Mm-hmm. And you used to, you know, we always say we used to wait for the trailers on TV or be lucky we were in front of the watching the right channel or or they were on a on a VHS at the beginning or they were at the movies when we went to the movies. Uh, this one, this one just, you know, stood out. This was a big thing. It's it says so here on the poster how much they were trying to uh, push its um, artistic masterpiece. I guess you could say it says. Warner Brothers proudly offers America a second chance to discover a one-of-a-time, one-of-a-kind masterpiece. Mm. And then it looks like it's got all the quotes of like how it's critically acclaimed on the right. I'm assuming that this was a uh, stab at a See It Again campaign, probably after its initial release. And if I'm correct, this came out around Christmas. No, it did not. It came out in May. I was way off. Yeah, it does have that vibe like it would come out around Christmas. Exactly. Though. Maybe that would have uh, helped it, right? Could have been. Could have, should have. And why it's known or not known. Well, usually everyone I've ever spoke to that, like when you bring it up and they're like, oh, yeah, oh, no, I loved the little princess. Everybody always uh, does the, the same quote, which interestingly enough, feels like a Mandela effect because she goes, um, everyone, everyone goes, Papa, <laughs> that's like the uh, the magic uh, moment. And really, uh, yeah, like, yeah, like people. <laughs> that's what people quote. Yes, that's wow. that's what they quote. Because I did not know this movie at all before you had mentioned it to me, and I was uh, six in 1995. So I feel like I don't know for some reason it just didn't reach me. Yeah, I'm surprised it didn't. Uh, I mean, we've spoken about your upbringing, and you got to wonder if there was any prevention of you seeing it you gotta wonder why um, oh yeah she does use dark magic yeah that's a good point uh, but I mean we can get into that with the Christian Christian uh, review right oh we certainly can <laughs> yeah. the, the Christian movie guide uh, uh, but to stay on to stay on your uh, on your um, your theme here of you know sticking where in, within our bounds here so why it's known or not known I pretty much said it I mean it was Released by a large studio, it had a wide release, had a, a huge budget, uh, incredible visual, visuals of which I forgot there was CGI in it. And it's it's a great film that um, I know a lot of kids, including myself, did watch um, a few times over. Parents enjoyed it. I, my mom spoke highly of it or how much she enjoyed it. And I think what's more important about this this shot is why it's not known, because I don't know. I don't know why it's not known. I think this would definitely uh, go into your your uh, experience, Sean. But I yeah, I could imagine it would not be known simply because oh, because the box office numbers they weren't yeah, that didn't great. Didn't do well. Seventeen million budget, ten million at the box office. But it made all its money back in video, uh, uh, VHS sales and rentals. VHS, that's the way to go. Exactly. Back when that that market you know, mattered or did something yeah. for them. Um, so, yeah, why it's not known, I'd say, I don't know, you just weren't a moviegoer. Or, uh, I mean, you know, we could we could jump and say that the only most successful person out of that whole cast was, uh, well, out of the whole crew would have been the director, A, uh, because most of the girls, 
you know, you kind of look them up uh, aside from the, the mention sisters, uh, one of which was a character actress. Uh, and then your one off, you know, Vincent Chiavale, like, and then mention the actress who plays mention. She's got a history in acting. I yeah. believe she's still active to this day, but, uh, yeah, there's not too many like child stars who are like still doing it or still very, very well known. And if they are doing it, they're doing it quietly. Yeah, I would say Quaron and uh, Chivo, probably the the biggest two to come out of this on the cinematography. Mm-hmm. Emmanuel, Lub- is it Lubezki? Lubiski? I've always said Lubieski. I think it's really cool that uh, two native Mexican filmmakers were, were able to have this kind of Hollywood opportunity. Yep, to quote my mom about, I think it was Leo. Wait, who did he get? Who got an Oscar from him? Who was the actor? That got an Oscar from Alfonso's movie. Uh, was it somebody in Gravity? I don't think Sandra or George got an Oscar for Gravity, but it was um, somebody. I don't know. To quote my mom, she was like, that's right. A Mexican got them an Oscar. A Mexican did that. <laughs> well, yeah, they did. Yeah, Alfonso, uh, another a huge, huge favorite of mine being Gravity. Um, he directed that. I, I adore that one with all my heart. I've come to accept and realize that not a lot of people really like things the way I do, which is fine. I love it. It makes me happy. Uh, and so does this one. Good reactions. Yeah. So Chris and I, we usually don't exchange any words about, about a movie prior to watching them, but he did tell me, try to watch it with the mind of a child. So I did try to do that. It's it's not too hard because I already have, or I try to have a, a childlike mind. Um, I was very I I had so I go I go into movies I haven't seen, trying to know as little as possible or spoil as much as spoil as little as possible. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know Quaron directed this, and so like I watched the whole thing. I got to the end credits, and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that kind of makes sense because this is this is a very well directed movie. I feel like it's very well executed on the script. I would say I enjoyed the experience. I think there's a lot of things that don't hold up, but I probably would have enjoyed it as a child, as I know you did, Chris. And it has so much like melancholy and, and sadness to it. That's like I wrote in my notes. I love a sad ass kids movie. <laughs> Mm-hmm, me too. Because this this gets dark. It gets dark. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting that she like has to become a servant and that she thinks her father's dead and and like all this stuff. So gut reaction. I enjoyed it. We can get in later into the cultural appropriation and and all of that when we're talking about does it hold up that kind of thing. What was your reaction coming to it as an adult? Well, you know, uh, this has always been a top ten for me. Um, This has been an extremely important film for more influential reasons as far as Mm -hmm. what kind of movies uh, I would like to be able to make, uh, the kind of feel that I want to grab out of them because, you know, the 90s was a a hodgepodge of so much. Yeah. And a lot of films, there's a good chunk of them from the 90s that I cherish, uh, this being one. I think what this one did was it allowed... It did a lot for me at the time that I did not know it was doing. For example, first film that ever touched me and and made me feel like react in in the middle of the viewing was 
the outsiders, um, as he hinted, or Coppola's the outsiders, they mm-hmm. were a uh, drowning pony boy and he was, you know, under the water and I was drinking water at the time. I was watching the movie, with my brother, and all of a sudden I just like, they spilled out water because I felt like I was being drowned. It was, it was so like, I don't know. It was a eureka. Whoa. It was a turning point. And I, I said, Oh my God, the movie made me do that. Wow. You know? Um, and it wasn't until Godfather three, which I believe was 93. That was the first movie that ever made me cry ever. Um, or at least that I can remember on record. And then after that, I kind of just didn't give a shit. And I was like, you know, if I cry, I cry, like whatever. It's funny how you still fight silly tropes about masculinity and you know, try not to cry sometimes, but um, in the, in film and watching them, you know, it, it doesn't bother me so much anymore. So I'll just, I'll let it out. But unfortunately the other night I went through a box of Kleenex uh, as oh. I, as, as I had reached as, as exaggerating as I had rewatched this one. Uh, it's so funny. Cause I, f- I feel like, you know, me, I'll always say, like, oh, I've rewatched this one at least X amount of times, believe it or not, I've only rewatched this one. I'd say less than 10 so maybe like six or seven, but all of those occurred in the nineties. Maybe we watched this in two th- in the two thousands once, and I say we being me and my brother because we had it hmm. on tape. Don't yeah. know if we owned the DVD, and but I but the thing is, I never forgot it. I didn't have to rewatch it. I know this one so well. All granted, there were some new discoveries, but I still know it so well. I know the essence of it. And I was surprised. I thought this was actually 92, but it was in, wow, it was in 95. So I was in fifth grade. I was a little older. Yeah. And I think this is the one where you're reluctant to let out your emotion because you are trying to be masculine. You are trying to be a tough young man, but you got to surrender yourself to to art that does that to you. And, and you can't be resistant and, and, and reluctant to let your emotions. I mean, that's, that's the time to do it. It's a cathartic moment. And, and that's what this one did. What's crazy is I couldn't tell sometimes if I was tear jerking because I loved how great the movie was made and how it mm. was and, and mm-hmm. like reliving that time. Cause I think we've gone over that before. I know we've spoken to our friend about it where Sometimes you just cry because a shot is done so good, you know, and there's no emotional <laughs> anything happening to anyone. But you just see that and you're like, that's the way it's supposed to be. But with, with this, I think it was a little bit of that. And also knowing also knowing what's going to happen. I mean, I, I knew everything yeah. was going to happen. I knew that as a kid, it was it was tragic and it was tough and <sighs> major bravo props to Lisel Matthews like. For for being, I guess what you could call a limited child actress, just meaning she didn't do much after or before and yeah. isn't doing much now. Um, man, she knocked it out of the park, you know? She's kinda like a kind of like a the the kid who played Ralphie, you know, like one big major role ever, a few side side by roles, but nothing ever after after the the big one, you know? Yeah. And that's great because that was that was their purpose. Um, I mean, they have other purposes, but but yeah, sure. she, she was. Uh, she <laughs> All right, was, you served your purpose. Get out of here. Right, she was incredible. I on this rewatch, I enjoyed. I remember saying to myself in the last few years, you know, I got, I got to get back in there and rewatch that. But I know I'm going to cry. I know I'm going to cry. And and this this was a great reason to watch it for for our, our thing here. But I do remember saying like, yeah, there's some other like 
really good actors. You know, it's like when everyone came and they just delivered for that yeah. for that film. The father, I don't not a household name. I had to look him up. Apparently, he's got some history on Game of Thrones. and Yeah, uh, that's how I knew him. Davos from Game of Thrones, which is a pretty big character. So, yeah, he's, he's not like a household name, but I feel like people would recognize him. Yeah. And I, I love his performance. I remember even back then that his performance was like just it was great. And then Miss Minchin, she's kind of like the Jafar, you know, like the Cruella de Vil. Yeah, she was fantastic. And then her what I didn't know was her sister. Um, the played by Rusty, uh, Rusty Schwimmer. Yeah, that's her. That's in the in the movie. That character is her sister, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that, but it makes sense. And and there's a lot going on there in terms of like what, how they're treating each other, what they're doing to each other. And I got notes. I got questions for you um, and just thoughts. So that's my elongated gut reaction. Is I still love it. Still holds up to me and it's special and it's just it's a beautiful film. And and if you want to cry, watch it. <laughs> you will cry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our shot list is Circle Take. Best quote. Does it hold up? Weird history. How would you reboot this? What would make this better? Who used to be a theater actor? Nostalgia Factor, and Non-White Casting. And then we'll jump into our Producers and Directors Corners and conclude with Questionable Questions. Circle Takes. Which one? What was your circle take or takes? My circle take is actually, and and I'm going to talk about this kind of more in depth in the Director's Corner the scene where Miss Minchin discovers Sarah telling stories to the boarding school girls <laughs> in her little rundown attic room. And then Sarah stands up for herself and uh, kind of professes that she is a princess and she makes Miss Minchin cry. That scene is just like very well directed, very well acted. That comes to mind as a circle take for me. Okay. My my other circle take is when they pour soot on Miss Minchin <laughs> down the chimney. Yeah, that's funny. It's funny. Good, good clean fun. Yeah, clean, right? <laughs> uh, maybe not that clean. My circle takes. Mine on this one are more just visual visual prettiness. <laughs> just they're just more in the just the cinematography. So there's a shot uh, in the trailer. I don't know if you saw the trailers. The opening shot where um, her and her friend as a kid are climbing over this big statue head in what yep. we believe is India. And they're playing around and it kind of you get the voiceover of the trailer and you get the the story being introduced and a little music. And it's just got that shot. Well, I really hmm. like that shot. But then um, it's funny you when when you're talking about yours, I it brought me to a note I wrote down, but it didn't it wasn't in that circle story round it was the first time when she still was a quote-unquote princess at the school oh okay i wrote down the stimulation of story in a world of that era and we'll we'll come back to that shortly oh that sounds very intellectual i have no idea what you're talking about well that's what i'm here for (laughs) please expound hell soon enough um here are my two uh favorite shots i i really like the turret shot um, where she's, it's the first time that she's alone. I think it's her first night 
and the camera, you know, kind of goes like of her at, in the window and then out the window and then just gets the wide shot. And then you see like where she's located in this dark city. You remember mm-hmm. that one? Yeah. I like that. And then I really liked the time lapsed shot after she becomes a servant and she's mopping that long hallway. And it's kind of like an, it's like a, it's a time lapse. It takes its time. And yep. then, and then the nasty Lavinia snobby little kid looks at her. She looks at the hallway and then you just uh-huh. you hear the echoes of the steps. It's dark. There's very little music going on, but that's like beautiful. It just it illustrates the pain, anguish, um, cruelty, you know, like so much. It's just it's such a bit of a turning point shot, you know, combine that yeah. also with her in the street with the flower and giving the bread to the kid. Just those. They're very cerebral for Sarah, Sarah uh-huh. crew. And I like them a lot. Those were my circle takes. Best quote. Oh, best quote. I feel like I have two, um, but I don't know how many. I guess one of them, if probably the only one is a man's got to get up early in the morning. No, a man's got to get up early if he wants to have an effect on the world. Wow. <laughs> That's between um, what's Rusty's character uh, mentioned sister. The, ex- the exact name escapes me. There we go. Amelia. That's with Amelia and her milkman boyfriend. The The milkman boyfriend is trying to find words. And that's what he uh, that's what he says to her. They're like talking. They're, they're just small talking. And he says that to her. Um, and then the other one is when it's more of a delivery of line. Yep. Uh, because it's so true. Yeah. And it reminds me, it reminds me of, you know, death that we're all going to experience at some point, you know, obviously ourselves and then the people around us, um, you know, not to get too, too sad here, but you know, my, when my mom's mom passed, um, you know, she had a, a very close relationship with her and loved our grandma to death and she was the best. And, um, I remember my mom telling me that she's, she's all alone now and it was hmm. interesting when she said that because she, you know, she has five sisters. Um, yeah. She had a brother, may you rest in peace. She's got a whole family in, you know, in Mexico. And she has us, you know, her two sons. But she didn't mean it like that. That's not what she meant. She meant it. She meant it kind of like the way Minchin was describing it and in, in, in insensitively delivering to Sarah when she goes, you are alone in the world, you know, and it's so interesting because I, I think the the one thing to deconstruct more than anything here is actually mention, you know. Yeah. But yeah, alone. You are alone in the world. That is uh, that is a line because it it kind of resonates in in many different ways, and I felt like it took time for me to understand what my mom meant because it wasn't an aside to you know to her sons or anything like that. But it's just sort of a a private wake up call that I think we're all going to go through in some way, regardless of what relationship a person has with their parents. Doesn't even have to be a parent, but it has to, it does have to be somebody who sort of serves that role, maybe even a brother or a sister or an aunt or uncle. I mean, I get from that, I get kind of the vibe of, you know, when people say it's lonely at the top, where it's kind of like, where it's like, it's on me now. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm the one who has to carry the burden of responsibility for everyone else. Like I, I'm a, I'm alone in, in taking care of this family. Yeah. Yeah. And major props to to Sarah, like her character 
I almost was going to make an objective complaint to to bring up here in our discussion. But then sure enough, the movie like takes care of it for me. I was like, oh, OK, good, good, good. Because I felt for a moment, I felt as though she was almost like when well, she had no flaws. <laughs> and and I was like, OK, you know, thank God she suffers, too. You know, like she didn't want imaginary. She went through her. Sarah goes through her her journey and she's not this flawless character. And I like that. I mean, she did it well. Yeah. She loses faith in the magic. She loses faith in herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. So going to my best quotes, Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite quote is Sarah first arrives at the school and the other girls are kind of like gossiping about her. And one of them says, her father grows crackers or something. Oh, They're very rich. (laughs) I'm like. Gross crackers. <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe you found it. It was right there in front of me. Look, look, this was the other quote. I shit you not. It's right there. Everyone in the world I know eats crackers. I <laughs> know. Oh Everyone I know eats crackers. That was the other one. I got, that was just, your other. Yeah, it was right in front of me. Yep. I've yeah. got I've got two more I liked. Please, please. I think this was at Sarah's birthday party. She says, All girls are princesses, even snotty two faced bullies like you, Lavinia. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. And then this quote comes at the end, uh, delivered by Jonas Quaron. Mm-hmm. Hey, get over here, Minchin. Pick up the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After yeah. she has been forced to uh, become a chimney sweep. Yeah, which for some it, reason yeah. it's not completely explained. It kind of reminded me of the end of Return to Oz. Yeah, where where the uh, the similar characters being taken off by the police. I'm kind of like, all right, sure. She would have been great in Return to Oz. She would have been, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you that uh, as an adult, that's probably the only thing that um stood out amongst like one or two others that was like, oh, that's kind of like they did that for the kids. Yep, and that's fine. But I think the adult in us would have wanted a reason. I believe if they had given us a reason, we would have like, okay, I'll allow it, you know? Because the one thing I noticed was at the end, it says the Randolph School for Women. I don't think it was called that. I think yeah, it was exactly. Called. And Randolph is... Uh, the dad the next character. door. Yeah, played by... Toodles. Arthur Malay. Toodles. So I guess it kind of makes sense. They could have just added like one line where he's like, I bought the school. I bought the school and I'm letting go of the wretched mention. Exactly. That line, exactly. Kicking her to the curb. Yeah, it would have been perfect. And it's, you know, the the movie leaves me wanting to know a little bit more about the, the, the world. Like I could totally, this movie could have been. Uh, multi-part episode series. I would have watched it. Yeah, it could still happen. Yeah, very, 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 very much could. Does it hold up? I say some parts yes, some parts no. Uh, I say as a whole yes for what it is as a children's film. Even, believe it or not, I'm going to say this, even the CGI. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. I think it was some spawn-level CGI. <laughs> it was definitely some spawn-level CGI, but it fit into the magic of that that uh, fairy tale that, or that, I don't know what you want to call it. Actually, I, I read that that tale of, I think it was Ravania, Ravania, yeah. Ra- Ravanaya, is a, is a real, is a, I think it's a, a poem, an Indian poem um, mm-hmm. in the culture. So, uh, you know, at least they were like citing things like that. Uh, what's funny about, if we're going to get into the, the politics of it all. I, oh, let's, let's get into it. I did write down, was the blue guy 
whitewash like is it was that a white actor like i couldn't tell um, oh so you didn't real so like i understand what they were doing because the like love interests in her story are played by the same actors who play her mother and father so they are whitewashed but it kind of like makes sense why she thinks this is like the most romantic story she's like imagining her parents being these characters mm-hmm. so like liam cunningham plays like the the blue painted character and the like same he's the actor in the blue paint yes get out of here are you serious and the same woman who's like in the photographs as her mother is playing the the princess character who they've you know they've like given her makeup and, and stuff to make her appear indian that's you know that doesn't hold up for me wait a second even just like Prince Rama. Oh, he does. Oh my God. Yep. I didn't know he did. I didn't know he did. I'm so stupid. <laughs> I didn't know he did. Until just now. Okay. Yeah. Well, at least I was right. It was like, hey, he kind of looked white. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting. Interessante. Uh yeah. That doesn't that doesn't hold up. I was worried the like the first moment Becky appeared on screen. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, she's like a 10 year old black child who's the servant for the whole household. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, what's going on with this? Is well, this just going to be like a white savior movie? Well, yeah, but I mean, you're, you're looking at it with 2022 eyes, though, right? I mean, if you saw it back then. It was it was progressive for its time, definitely, because even in the original book and in the 1939 film, it was that like character's white. Yeah, that character's white. Yeah. So. Yeah, poor white chick. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I, I could, I could, uh, support the word progressive here in terms of like what they were doing. Or who knows, you know, whose decision that was. But I will say one thing I did like about her character is they didn't make her like. If there was a uh, an element of um, uneducated, they didn't um, exploit that. Um, you know, maybe you're typical like, oh, well, what is that? What is this? And they also didn't make her, um, I mean, let's face it. We've seen a lot of, uh, movies that like to, what's the word, uh, romanticize, uh, trauma. I think that's the term, um, right. where they'll take just slave times and they'll just, let's really see them beat somebody, you know, and they, they feel like that's sort of the art um, and I mean that that splits into so many different hairs. But what I'm what I'm getting to is they didn't make her they didn't exploit her servant role. I don't think yeah, they I, didn't make her do these um, uh, cliche or stereotypical, you know, lines. Like they, they they didn't do that, and they let her be a girl and be herself and um. I, I it could have gone bad to my memory. I don't think they even like use racial slurs or anything. Right. They did not. Like you said, they don't they didn't direct the actress to to act in like a stereotypical manner. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like, you know, she's not talking like Jar Jar Binks, thankfully. <laughs> so I think I think they came at it with sensitivity. Definitely. Yeah, and they had to come. They, the closest they came to it was almost object, objectively when um, uh, I don't remember the kid's name, but the little freckle-faced girl uh, with the glasses on, or maybe it was a little girl. Uh, her name is Ermengarde. 
Irving, well, what a name. I know. Well, which, whichever of the little girl characters said, well, her skin is darker. That's about as close as they came to a ridiculous, like, character um, analysis of why they couldn't interact or speak with, with Becky. Right. But if you think about it, what's kind of interesting is, where does this take place? Like in New York is the, is the North. Yep. I mean, in all the history of, of this country, we know that the North was, it wasn't not racist. We know that, but it was, it wasn't as Jim Crowy and it wasn't as um, intense as the South was and could have been in parts of the Midwest, you know, um, yeah. in the culture of the time. Um, so it was interesting how they kind of applied a bit of that, that, that generalizing onto the the situation um and they just you know it's funny how when mention said when she realized that her dad couldn't pay the bill anymore because he was supposedly dead she goes i'm allowing you to stay here off of charity you know it's like she's acknowledging what residue is left in her heart of any goodness throughout the film and if she did that for her for sarah there must have been a situation for becky uh, yeah. maybe not the exact same but it makes you wonder how how Becky ended up there. See, I read that as just like another manipulation because this is basically indentured servitude. Their only pay is like room and board and they get to eat meals. Cold room and board. They don't get days off. They don't get a stipend on top of the work they're doing. So it's it's not like it's a good job for these children. It's child labor. It's indentured servitude. They're basically, you know, forced to work around the clock. Well, you know what I wondered is, um, had she actually sent Becky and Sarah to the police at the end, who was going to mop the floor? Like, who was she going to get? She couldn't get one of the other girls. They were paying money. Yeah. I mean, maybe they would have, she would have found a beggar child outside or something and just brought them in. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Maybe the the kids that were selling the flowers, huh? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, all right, we don't want to get too off track. Oh, does it hold up? So you want to cap off your does it hold up? Yeah, I'm I'm still kind of split on it. It's like I, I know why it doesn't hold up. I know why it holds up in other parts. Yeah, I get where it's coming from with the time, but let's just kind of root for it to be a little better than it was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, I my does it hold up? Yes, I think it holds up uh, 100%. It's um, knowing uh, what could be done if it was remade now. The only way I would allow it uh, and and change my mind is if Alfonso revisited it because he still can. He's still just as good and better and he's big and he's uh, he could he could do it. I I think someone should propose that to him and um, address whatever he thought or other people thought was wrong with it or needed to improve Hmm. Um, because only he could like recapture the magic of it. But uh, if someone else did, if they like just took it to some other property or some other organization and they just tried to redo it, I, I just I wouldn't be interested. Something about this has a different magic to it. As far as the um, like her dad playing the uh, I think his name is Ram. Let me see here. Prince, Prince Rama. Rama. Yeah. Her yeah. dad playing Prince Rama. God, I had no idea. See, this is always stuff like this. that gets me. And I don't know. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know. But I thought he did look rather white. And then I was curious about the whole, um, like, was the, I wrote down Indian dude. What was his, like, whole role here? But yeah. I, I, I thought about it, and, and when, I, when I did the reading, and even in the original book, he's always just listed as his 
assistant, um, not necessarily his servant. I I thought he was like, is that his guru? Is that like the guy in um, oh. in uh, what's the the show uh, Silicon Valley? <laughs> Remember the dude that's always a uh, Hooli? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> his like, I think he's a guru. Well, I think he's like he actually is a servant in like earlier versions of this. Uh, like I watched some of the 1939 movie and the the guy who he's a servant who is like yelling at him to get back to work while he's while he's talking to Sarah. I wonder if that's a product of the the directors of back then and how they wanted to make it be told. I don't I, don't, I have a feeling that wasn't the intention in the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's also it's also like, does this follow? Does this character fall into like the magical person of color trope? I don't uh, think so. I, I I thought so. I thought for a moment, yeah. but they sort of sidelined any of that happening. He does have his moments where he just shows up. And I have a question here. There's a dream sequence where she's outside the window and there's like snow coming in. It looks like a snow globe. Yeah. And he's on the other side. What was that? I just I didn't, I didn't get that part. There's another dream sequence, but that one was like... What are you doing? Are you just making it snow, you know? <laughs> yeah, and then there's the scene where they wake up and there's like food and like the whole place has been redecorated. And I'm like, did he do this with magic or did he like sneak into this attic and pick up these child while they were asleep, children uh. while they were sleeping, <laughs> and then put, put and put these new sheets on the bed? I'm I like, don't want this, this to think of it that way. I'm going to think of it as magic, <laughs> and, we're gonna, and I'm going to leave it there because okay. you have to believe. You have to believe in the magic. So, yeah, and now even with the CGI, I'll say it holds up. And here's why. Completely forgot it had CGI until two, three nights ago and I saw it. And thankfully, it's in it's in doses the way it is. And they're, they're small doses. Yeah. They, I think that CGI oddly kind of works for the the production design um, and, and, and like the, the color palette of that of that story sequence. You remember how everything in that story had like spiky ground. Mm-hmm. It was almost looked like it was a cactus world or something. Yep. And then that, that dragon thing also had the same spiky kind of face. I don't know why, but it just, it, it just fits well for this film. It, it doesn't look like spawn. How great comparison. I agree. It, it does have those echoes spawn. It doesn't fit because spawn is such high production value out around the movie you know from from lines to story to the to the to the damn costume and then you get this horrible devil you know (laughs) so yeah i think what i think this kind of fits for this for this one yeah i think we know we're watching like a fantasy sequence that she's telling a story yeah i wish they would have used i don't know animatronics puppetry somehow but I kind of wish that on every movie that has any kind of creature. So yeah, and what's hard? What's hard is to put ourselves in '95 days and and see that and and think that it was great because I mean at that time it was cutting edge. Right. <laughs> I wrote down. Uh, yeah, it it's bold, but it fits. Uh, and the production design is great as far as the CGI goes. Let's see. I, I do. I also think it holds up as far as like um, it's got some interest. It touches on some interesting subtopics, but only touches. Yeah. So, for example, when she's in class and the what, what was the girl's name? The freckle face girl? Erm. Ermengard. Ermengard. Ermengard has to recite the times tables like they're on seven times eight or something like that. And she she's struggling. She can't do it. And then, um, the other girls laugh and then she starts crying and she goes, I'm sorry, I studied really hard. And the teacher kind of like makes fun of that or, or mention makes fun of that. Yep. You know, it made me think 
Well, it made me think, A, of, of myself in a very, very similar situation in math class. But it made me think in, in what we are very familiar with as like undiagnosed learning disorders. Because mm-hmm. way back then, and even as, as early as recent as the 90s, a kid can study really hard and still not get it because they're just not learning it the right way. And I, I think this is touching that 100% that this girl wasn't for lack of trying. It wasn't for lack of desire. She she had a learning disorder and nobody nobody knew how to go about it. And they were just yeah. being this like tough love, get it, you're dumb, you know, kind of thing. And Sarah had compassion and the rest of them did not. Uh, or they learned it eventually, but like... Minchin could have done better. Hell, for all the money that they're paying, everything they're getting, you know? I know, yeah. Take care of this kid. So it had tropes of of abandonment, things about the learning disorder. I think it touches on some elements of early love, but not in like a heavy-dosed way, which is good. What, what, uh, what made you think of early love? Well, it shows... Not that I know because I don't... I haven't lost a parent, but I have yeah. a... You know, I have an absent parent... When you when you have an absent parent and it's just you and, and the one parent, mm-hmm. um, especially if a parent doesn't does not know how to express love, but this father did. Yep. It it teaches um, a child how to appreciate you know your family and those you love and those you care about. And I guess I should have rephrased. I didn't mean early love for like the opposite sex. I meant early love in general because some people don't know how to love because they never received love, mm-hmm. and I think that that Sarah is very fortunate to have that because it made her the strong willed child that she is to be able to, to kind of give this gospel and this spreading this, this message of, you know, love, support, being princesses and all that, this, this sort of, um, uh, strong, you know, rooted womanhood, uh, early. And she, she couldn't have had that without her father's love and support. Um, and for that matter, I mean, we don't know exactly what happened to her mom, but, it doesn't seem like she was bitter about it, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was, seems like it was an accident, basically, and and she has that. So those things are really strong because they can damage kids early if they don't have them. And mm-hmm. I think she has it. So that's what I meant. Hmm. Yeah. So in short, but medium, but long. Yes, I think it holds up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Weird history. Uh, let's begin with the Christian movie guide. <laughs> Christian Movie Guide loves this movie. Even even the magic. So Christian Movie Guide says, in this movie, magic, believing in what you want and yet cannot see, is portrayed as somewhat similar to what the Bible calls faith. This is a child's innocent representation of a source of hope in the midst of an otherwise hopeless situation. As such, it should not be faulted. All ends well in this well-crafted adventure movie, which could well become a family classic. And it did for you. <laughs> oh, Christian movie guide. Such empty platitudes. Yep. There's no uh, no marks against it for language, violence, sex, or nudity. So there you go. <laughs> Though I have to say on Wikipedia, elsewhere on the internet, there's not a lot said about this movie. I did see like an interview where Quaron says it's his favorite of movies he's made and, and that it's the only one that he rewatches, mm-hmm. which which is really interesting to me. I saw that. I also saw that the actress who played Ermengarde, Heather Deloach, uh, before this, you may have seen her as the B-girl in the music video for No Rain by Blind Melon. 
Yeah, I remember. I yep. Did. Yeah. Pretty iconic music video. On the stage. And yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Aside, the only weird history about this film is not, it's about the film star. I remember reading that in the early days of IMDb when we all, likely all of us who who love this medium the way we do, probably spent hours in the trivia and goof section of IMDb. Yeah. I know I did. Um, the only interesting history is that, you know, Lisa Matthews, a.k.a. Lisa, God, she's got like four different variations of names. Let's go through all of them. Yeah, because that was her stage name, right? Right. She was born Liselle Ann Pritzker. Stage name, Liselle Matthews. Yep. Also known as Liselle's, Liselle Pritzker Simmons. <laughs> um, and let's see. I believe she's married now and she goes by... I could have sworn there was another surname in there somewhere. Yeah. But the, the Pritzker family, they're like the ones, the family behind Hyatt Hotels and a lot of other stuff, right? Yeah. They're, they're, she's heir to the Hyatt Hotel fortune. She had uh, famously, her and her brother sued her own family for a misappropriation of funds of her trust and um, I guess money that was owed or something. Her and her brother ended up winning. I think it was like five hundred million dollars, and they and the right to to control their own trusts that had to be split eleven ways amongst the rest of the Prisker family. Wow! But um, I don't know if you remember when we were in Chicago. Some of the big names that you'll see, you know, about the city aside, you know, from like Daly, John Daly, and mm-hmm. and um, you know, well. Trump's name is on one building. Mm. But uh, yeah, you'll see the Dailies and you'll see Pritzker. Uh, there's a park that's named after them. They, I think they have a footprint somewhere in, in Illinois politics. Uh, one of the, I don't know if you were there, but uh, one of the producers, Gigi Pritzker, I believe that's her name, came to the school and she did, it was, we did a panel with her and she spoke and it was awesome. And she was talking about her involvement with I forget the name of that that series, but Harrison Ford was in it. Mm-hmm. She was just talking about being a producer and that whole thing. Uh, but yeah, the Pritzkers, they, they got a big footprint in the world. Very, very rich. Very. I mean, this Hyatt is is damn near on par with uh, uh, American Steel, you know, yeah. and and those classic uh, Rockefellers brands that that that, you know, made America the way it was. Uh, and apparently when they won. The lawsuit, it put it propelled all 11 of them into the Fortune 500 or Forbes 500 list. Yeah, it looks like, uh, yeah, 11 of them are billionaires. Yeah. Which is, I can't imagine if 11 of my closest family were billionaires. But, I uh, can't imagine either. But it, mm. but uh, there's magic out there, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so again, some of the, you know, not to get off track from the movie, but mo- most of the weird history just kind of lies inside of Lisa Matthews. She... Um, was also in uh, Air Force One. She played the first daughter with Harrison Ford, yep. and that was kind of about it. After that, I think there was one more movie, and she just she kind of fell out of it, and she's been doing a lot of... Um, she was suing the family while she was in college, and then she does a lot of philanthropical work now. That's pretty much all she does, uh, as far as Wikipedia can tell. Well, um, doesn't need to act for money, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, which, why she should act for fun. She was, she's pretty good, I think. I wonder what she would do now. Yeah. What kind of roles she'd be interested in? Maybe a, a big mm-hmm. princess, right? 
I just meant that in oh like financial terms, uh-huh. not in any sort of appearance. Barely know what she looks like. Oh, I thought uh, you just meant in contrast to a little princess. Yeah, there you go. Now That's what I meant. Now in she's, contrast a, now she's to, a big kid. No, she's a big princess. Um, so other, yeah, only other weird history that I found is uh, everything that I'm sure you found on here. Yeah, because uh, there's just not, not much. a lot out there. Yeah, yeah. She does have good. She did have good theater roots, though, like where she started, mm-hmm. how she was discovered. So she used to be a theater actor. <laughs> yeah, she did. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I think I saw an IMDb like goof that said the map they use in the film is from 1920, not 1914. So it's like inaccurate for the time. But I was like, all right. I caught my own uh, crew visible goof or error when her shawl is carried away by the wind. You can see the string grabbing it and pulling it off. So shame on you, production. You can give me a big ass dragon, but you can't hide a string. (laughs) (laughs) I have higher expectations. (laughs) I know. I know. I guess for shits and googles. So the IMDb says the the stores on the film's main street are named after various crew members. (laughs) Yeah. And it's uh, like you said, it was very successful on home video. Mm-hmm. As of April 1997, uh, it sold over 2 million copies for an estimated $32 million in video revenue. Yeah, that's still ancient data now. <laughs> it's it's ancient, but that's that's big money for the time compared to what it made at the box office. Yeah. Now, past, uh, past stuff like naming the local streets after crew members, I mean, that, that's all the real trivia that's in there. They... They also uh, reused some of the extra background characters from the market scene for some other scene. I don't know. It's kind of useless stuff. So we'll just say that the weird history lies in the um, lease hell. How would you reboot this? I already said how I would. (laughs) You would just call up Alfonso. Yes. I would just call up Alfonso and I'd say, hey, here's some cash. Um... You want to reboot it? <laughs> you want to reboot it? Yeah. I'm thinking if you want to have like this character's love for Indian culture, why not just make it that her mother was Indian? Yeah. Or maybe maybe her dad's Indian too. You can you can set this in like any war. Maybe now it's set in World War II. Yeah, I was going to say didn't that whole didn't the presence of Indian culture have to do with the history of of Britain and India? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all it's all to do with colonialism and yeah, and so that's another reason that it just kind of feels icky to me that it's like <laughs> that she's like appropriated this culture and and she loves Indian culture so much and it's like well your your country you know just like took over these people's lands and forced them into labor and, and all sorts of horrible stuff. So yeah, she didn't do that. Yeah, she did though. She's just trying to be a princess. She's trying to be a little princess. Yeah. Well, you know what those royals do. How how should they have done it then at the time? Or with uh with the script was so, like they have I said, done? maybe make it so that she's connected to her mother's Indian heritage. You know? Maybe her maybe her dad is still like a white British dude. I was I was thinking Liam uh, Cunningham was giving me like James McAvoy vibes. Maybe mm-hmm. James McAvoy uh, plays the father. Huh. I know I'm I'm with you because I love him. 
I think you know? we definitely need to see Cumberbatch. <laughs> it just needs to be an all-star British Kevin. Easy Cumberbatch. Do Let's have Cumberbatch yeah. <laughs> play uh, the Miss Minchin role. Exactly. Make it an all-guys. Yeah, we're making an all-boys story. Huh? That could be a little prince. Um, a little baby. <laughs> a little baby prince. Yeah, I'll just stick with how would I reboot this. Uh, I'd call up Alfonso. I'd say, hey, you know, revisiting a masterpiece. Um Anything that you wanted to do that we couldn't do because of budget or whatever, you know, free control. Yeah. Uh, do you want to put a twist on it? And, you know, we have 2022 tech. I, I would do that. Uh, I, I wouldn't be against a reboot either. Actually, we wouldn't be against a reboot from someone else, too, just to see what other people did with it. Because before that, all we had was the, the much older ones. And they yeah, one of them was kind of. Very different. Well, you mentioned make it a series or, you know, there maybe. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe yes. Cuaron could set it in Mexico this time. I don't know. Go <sighs> go wild with it. Hey, you're having, you got some great ideas, Schwan. Uh, yeah. I like them. I, I like that. 100%. I, I will take exactly what you just said. Make it a series because that, that's that's how I felt earlier. And, and yes, shoot in Mexico. That'd I like, cool yeah, too. I like it when it gets personal. I think Roma is my favorite film. Of his thing is, I want to see. I did want to see more of that world. So the first things I thought when she was out there, you know, shopping for the food by herself, yeah, which is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, they just let her do that. But it was it very, is kind of like in Home Alone where he has to shop for himself. It's very indicative of the times, though. You know, like that world has only really been kept, been captured in in certain films kind of well, but it always comes across as like the poor streets of London. Yep, and she's just navigating that all by herself. I think a kid tries to steal something from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it reminded me of gangs in New York. Remember that? Yep. Yeah. Kind of had that feel. I, I'd love to see uh, like an episode about the, the world, you know, mm. or the, the market where mm-hmm. she gets the cakes from and everything. Yeah. So did you notice that? Uh, did you notice the, do you feel as though the camera was low a lot because it's from the kid's perspective? Yep. Childlike perspective, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yes, something I, I saw this time coming around and I appreciate it. All right, what would make this better? Chris is silent. Chris Chris has nothing because Chris doesn't think anything would make this better. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm, less, I'm gathering. Ap- less appropriation. Kind of like I said in How Would You Reboot This? You could, I mean, they could have just... It didn't really matter that she was from India. She could have moved there from uh, England and had been telling the girls a story about like a medieval prince and princess and had her parents play those roles in the fantasy. To me, like the the whole use of Indian culture was just as kind of like, oh, this exotic thing. So that's that's why I'm like, eh, do we really need that like, why is she so invested in Indian culture? I, I respectfully disagree. I think that it's part of her upbringing, who she was, and she shouldn't lose who she is as a little kid because of the mistakes of, you know, I don't know if her father did any of that, but, mm. of, you know, the people in that country. Uh, I'll give you an example. I, I'll never forget in elementary school, there was this chick. Her name was Erin, this white girl from South Africa. And we were doing the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. And I just remember even back then, this was like third, 
fourth grade. So, you know, you're, you're young. You just don't know much. At least I didn't. Yeah. And she didn't protest exactly. She just said, but I don't um, but I don't see America as my country. Um, I, I, I love Africa oh. and she wasn't like trying to be, she really wasn't trying to be political. Like it, it wasn't like that, but I remember the teacher being so uncomfortable because she was like, how dare <laughs> she, how dare she not want to say the pledge of allegiance, you know, she, yeah. but she, but like this, this little girl was as white as any chick from Tennessee can be. And if we sat there and, you know, I don't want to say chastise, but like, scolded her for for being embracing embracing the culture that she was brought up in is that her fault um you know is it our place to 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 change it and teach her i mean what should she be now well uh, I, i'm not chastising the character i'm chastising the writer like you, well, you got to separate those two things like for young chris like they could have made her like come from england to America and the, and the story still would have worked just as well. I think I could see that probably be boring. <laughs> I could see it. <laughs> boring. Um, well, it's, it's interesting because there's, there's other films out there. I not, can't think of name, any names to mind, but I feel like I've seen this sort of thing. And, and the thing I'm talking about is this, this presence in this relationship of white culture and Indian culture sort of, symbiotic and yes i think you know as i got older i learned more it was because of the war it was because of the colonialism and everything that happened in history back then yeah i do find it interesting how it how they just weaved it in with i guess more same level dynamics rather than you are a servant you are to do this Mm -hmm. and it's not that when i when i say I, i respectfully disagree with you it's not that i don't i don't disagree with the idea of the appropriation i i get that there but I'm just curious, like, do you think it was a choice for them not to make the relationship a bit more black and white, no pun, and and more just, hey, it's your culture, and we're just going to use it a little bit? Mm, it's like this because it's what's in the book, which is from 1905. Mm. And at least they have someone of Indian heritage playing the, the Ram Das character. Mm-hmm. Uh, which they didn't have in the 1939 movie. They had uh, Cesar Romero play the character. Who I know is the Joker. But uh, yeah, yeah, so it's like, okay, that's that's an improvement. But uh, still, it's kind of like, if we were doing this today, would we do it exactly the same as it was done? And if not, we got to ask ourselves, well, why not? Like, you know, that's that's what I think of when I think what would make this better. Today... Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I wonder if the flashbacks would even be real, like live action, if they, if they could do animation. Animated, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they did the dragon. You know? Yeah. I mean, one thing one thing from a, a story standpoint of what would make this better, I wouldn't have Rom just like magically bring Captain Crew's memory back. I'd have like some kind of thing... Because I feel like it takes agency away from Sarah as a main character. Like, I feel like she should have, like, said something that, like, triggers his memory to come back. Mm-hmm. Maybe even, like, earlier on in the film when he's like, whenever you talk to your doll, just say this one word and I'll, I'll always, like, I'll hear, you know? Mm-hmm. And then she says that one word. Or even mentioning, like, 
it's me, your little princess. And that's what like brings his memory back. It just kind of felt like a cop out to like, I'll take your dog, have this climactic, have you, you have this climactic moment. And then it's like, Oh, this other guy gets to take all the credit for bringing the memory back. He's the Indian magic dude. That's what I'm saying. The magical person <laughs> of color trope. He's the Indian. He's the Indian magic dude. Uh, I'll take your doll and I'll raise you. She could have dropped the doll on the way out. Uh huh. In the rain, it's getting wet and yeah. soggy. He looks down, and he's triggered. Hashtag triggered. Yeah. Picks the doll up and they embrace, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Some something. Yeah. And then Ramdas comes in and he's like. <laughs> You see? <laughs> She's your daughter, bro. You see? Uh, all right, hang on. How would we... Re- oh, what would make this better? Uh, we're still there. Yeah, actually, I thought of stuff. So the other things I, I brought up earlier about, like, the, the tiny touches on... I mean, hell, even bullying, you know, Lavinia's whole attitude and how she got that way. I think it would... And this probably would have came out in, like, an episode of the series, but... Uh, what I'm just going to call Ermengarde's uh, learning disability disorder. It's got to be a learning disorder. It just has to be. I bet Karan snuck that in because he he experienced that too. Hell, I did too. Uh, I would have liked to, you could highlight those things. Yeah. Maybe some more, just a little bit more. Um, not that it has to be explained and, and handed to the audience on a plate exactly. Yeah. But just maybe just for the ones who can't see past, you know, abstract art and, and and symbolism things like that just sort of like hey just for clarity this is why i think um, i think you want to see you want to see a version of this movie that's like a four hour long epic uh that's what it sounds like that even has like a little intermission in the middle of it no i don't but that was kind i guess <laughs> no <laughs> no just a few more things like i mean this time around i genuinely felt that that whole learning thing is is just major just plays to a lot of uh, you know, to like autism and, and learning disorders and being on the spectrum that other people at at the time just sort of like dismissed as a uh, lazy and it's not true. Well, and even even the way that we like position learning towards children a lot of times is like we don't tell them why it's important to learn multiplication. We don't tell yeah. them why it's important. To, we're just like, well, your parents will be very angry if you fail this test. That's why you need to learn it, which isn't a great motivator for every student like to, to have that fear on their sh- on their back at all times. A hundred percent agree. And and actually bringing back this um, bringing back this thing I mentioned earlier about the stimulation story in a world of that era. I, I said that because it does highlight sort of the 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 lack or of presence of um the arts in mm-hmm. school programs. And, you know, we, we've both got into you know, our history about how we fell in love with the arts and what got us there. But I, I hate to say that it, when I have been to both in attending or just visiting an art school. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, it made me wish I could have gone to one from day one mm-hmm. because that's just my tribe. And I think that you're able to figure that out. You're able to find that out, but the barrier to entry is, just so gray and, and unknown sometimes. And sometimes the parents, they don't know how to support those sorts of things. And maybe a parent wants to be so supportive and tell their kid they can be anything, but they're going to lean towards a doctor or a lawyer, you know, and they're going to see the arts as just like a waste or, or whatever, but yeah. they don't understand that they can make the kid happy. And I, I'm, this is all coming from the, um, the scene where they all came into 
her room and she was telling those stories that made these kids see we got to remember too not only did you need to watch this in 95 eyes but you also had to experience it in 19 what oh five or 13 or whatever year that was what year was that was that world war one happening what in 1905 what year did the movie take place yeah the movie yeah is set in world war one yeah right so early 1900s Right. Was the radio even out? <laughs> I think so. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, barely. But, I mean, but remember, like when, when we learned history about media and we learned about like AM and FM waves and, and there was that whole fireside chats by the radio. The radio was the TV of the of the I don't want to say ancient times, but of the early times. Yeah. You would see those Rock Rockwell. Uh, was it Rockwell? Norman Rockwell. Norman right? Rockwell paintings. Yeah. Paintings of. A family of an American family gathered in a living room, sitting in front of a box with no visuals, and the box was the radio. Yeah. You know, you'd have you know serialized pro- radio programs, and that was that influenced a lot of directors that are actually still alive today. We we both know that. Yeah. So I thought it was just interesting or fascinating to to highlight the stimulation of story. Like they were all falling asleep while Minchin was mm-hmm. practicing the harp. You know, just to whatever they regarded as the classics. Yeah. And then and Sarah spiced it up a little bit, no pun. Yeah. They all got interested and started that doing happens. some fan fiction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. They, but that's, you have sparked to certain stories yourself, yep. certain scripts, and so have I, and so have these kids, and so will anyone else. So I, I think that those, uh, that's what I meant by that is I was, I was, that's another reason I loved it because it does highlight that value. Yeah. Well, the, the oral storytelling, it's coming mm-hmm. back. Exactly. We're yeah. doing it right here. Been back. Uh, but yes, as far as anything else that would make this better for me, I want to know more about Mention. That would be good to have. Yeah, you want like a Mention prequel. I want to mention, yeah, I want a whole explanation about why are you the way that you are? <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to know more about Becky. Hell, I want, I want to know more about everyone. It's funny is I could almost know less about some of the girls, but the um, Rusty, um, Amelia character, mentioned sister, I want to know more about her. Yeah, the old French professor who's just there for the food. Yeah, like, I could care less. <laughs> But sure, but sure. Uh, And then I wrote something else down. um, But I think I can save this for Nostalgia Factor. Who used to be a theater actor? Oh, wow. I I think we could actually almost say all of them. Yeah, we know for sure already about Liesl. Mm -hmm. Is that how you you think it said Liesl? Or is it Liesel? Or Lysel? Lysol. (laughs) Well, it's a a German name, I believe. Mm -hmm. I've always heard it as Liesl. I think I've yeah, known no. a Liesel before. Yeah. Probably probably is. Liesel. Liesel Matthews, yeah. Yeah, we know about her. Mentioned definitely. Uh, yeah, Eleanor Braun got, got very strong theatery vibes. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with, I mean, the guy who played Toodles in Hook, but in this he was Randolph. Yep. Um, Captain Crew, Liam Cunningham. Yeah, I, you know, I think this is one time we may not need this this shot. We might. Are there any that you think were were not theater actors? Uh, Quran's son, the chimney sweep. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe. Uh, the other one I'd say is maybe one or two of the girls. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because some of them are like so young. It's like 
this is, what are you, like five years old? You probably don't have tons of theater experience or acting experience in general. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're gonna pass this shot. This this uh, this film. We used to be a theater actor. It's a little different when you got kids, but uh, yeah, for shits and goes, we know we know the top build for sure. Yeah. Nostalgia factor. Obviously, I have I haven't seen this this film until the year twenty twenty two, but one nostalgic thing that popped out for me is that the movie starts with a WB logo that has Bugs Bunny eating a carrot next to it, mm-hmm. like in a little tuxedo. Mm-hmm. That's that's like of a very particular time. That that hit me hard. Yeah. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. I know what you mean. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. The nostalgia factor for me, you know, I think we can we can actually blend a bit of this one with elements from corners that we sometimes get into tangents on. Mm-hmm. So feel free to, to after me to come back and, and just discuss certain things. And this is also slash discussion corner because yep. um, I don't know if I want to, I'm, I'm debating if I'm going to save my question in for questionable questions, but um yeah, I guess I will. So uh, nostalgia for me, it's, it's beautiful. I can't, I actually cannot remember the first time I saw this, but surprisingly, it was in 95 and not, you know, so I know every year of the 90s, I was in that grade. So I was in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, fifth grade was a tough time for me. Very tough. And I think we saw this in the theater. Almost positive we did. Uh, uh, and I enjoyed it. Thought it was good. It was funny because um, this one also came out around a time that The Secret Garden came out. Mm. Now, there's two versions of The Secret Garden uh, they came out when when we were kids yeah. that are very memorable and they sort of all kind of fit around this time. Plus, the 90s was a great time for child movies in general. They they there was a, you know, this is coming off the heels of the Home Alones and you could, you know, arguably say some of the late 80s uh not child movies but sort of like your your uh, uh Fast Times at Ridgemont High, The Breakfast Club and um can't buy me love and just sort of those. It's sort of like an evolution from that. Like a, I don't want to say a cleaner version, but mm-hmm. they, they're they're in the same they're in the same orbit. Yeah, for um, sure. And the '90s movies did have a different magic to them. I, I felt uh, that there was some pieces of this scattered throughout other stories, but wasn't sure if, if they were, if one came before the other, for example, I wrote in question in parentheses, Matilda question mark. Hmm. I don't remember if I've seen Matilda and I'm talking about the one with Danny DeVito and, um, the girl from, uh, from Mrs. Doubtfire, Mara Wilson. Yeah. Mara Wilson. Um, yeah. I feel like I don't remember the exact story of Matilda, but she's also like a magic girl and a girl school or something. Yeah, I don't I don't remember if I ever saw that yeah, either. I want to say I it did, know. but I, I I know it lives in the hearts of a lot of um people, uh, but I guess I'll have to rewatch it and check it out. But I do feel as though this kind of had a Matilda-esque vibe. It definitely had some Cinderella uh, uh layers of it and some the magic scene where they imagine the food that was very, you know, very much from hook. Yeah. It wasn't hook before this hook was before this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they could have been, they could have been homaging Spielberg there. Yeah. I feel like movies about boarding schools is like very nineties. Exactly. Rushmore, 
you know, not not for the same audience, but there's, there's something about the 90s where like boarding schools were big. Yeah, I agree. But it's also now that now that is something from for nostalgia we could both comment on. Yeah. Had you ever met anyone uh-huh. who went to one or known a family who had a kid who went to a boarding school? I because I, I got an answer. Uh, <laughs> no, but I kind of like romanticized the idea of it. Like I, yeah. I was like, I didn't have a lot of fun growing up in my, in my household and I kind of wanted to like get out and like, yeah. And like have this, like, you know, you always picture it as this like beautiful campus mm-hmm. where you're like by the water and, and you can mm-hmm. go rowing or, or I don't know. It's, 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 it's always this like very picturesque mm-hmm. waspy idea. <laughs> Dead poet society. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It's a, uh, not that I didn't have a, a bad childhood, you know, every, each one of those in their own respect has their own reason, I'm sure. But like, you know, I, I, I only, I was raised by my mom and, you know, there's me and my brother and her. And it's not that I wanted to get away from her exactly because she did a great job, I think, but it was more um, the same with you, the adventure, you know, the getting out, you know, wanting to just not see something else but Nashville. Yep. And, but my answer is no also until about... It's about 2012, mm-hmm. 13, after I had left uh, New York, I worked for this this guy who had his own business and he was, he wasn't rich, but he was well off. We'll say he was a millionaire, but that doesn't mean you could be a millionaire and have 10 million bucks. And that's, that's not super rich, you know? Yeah. You could be a millionaire and have 1 million bucks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I consider rich is like, eh, 75 and up, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It's like bread is expensive nowadays. Well, yeah. what's rich anymore? Uh, rich is no worries. No, but anyway, actually, no. Maybe he was rich. Rich is sending you kids to boarding school. He told me one of his daughters. Oh, oh, she's a boarding school. And I said, boarding school. I was like, you know, we're in the south, right? Yeah. <laughs> I just. I always figured like it was a northeast thing, you know. Yeah, and it's. I don't. There's like a part of me that would feel like, uh, I don't know, like a parent's being neglectful by like sending their their kid away to boarding school. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it depends yeah. on the age. Like maybe high school, it's, it's, it's like, okay, the kid might want some independence. But if I were like six years old and my parents sent me away, <laughs> I, I would see that as like a reflection on myself. Like they don't want me. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't it wasn't that Ermengarde's uh, little backstory? Didn't she say that? Yeah, I think so. Does she yeah, said that it, like her dad doesn't feel like he's good enough to have her around or something? He wants her to be to have a better life than he has and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and you know, pay attention to that family trauma on the parents. I mean, what does that say about the way they were raised? Yep. Well, every everyone needs to speak to someone. Everyone needs to see somebody and, and, and resolve some some unresolved trauma. They Amen. They're doing that because they they were raised pretty damn awful too. Yep. And I think we're one of the first generations that just wants to do different, be different. And that's that ties in with what I was saying earlier about love about early love and understanding, yeah. you know, how and what it means and that kind of thing. Um, back to the boarding school thing, uh, this this daughter of his, now what's funny is um, obviously like nothing, nothing close to reveal identities has been said, so I'll keep it very generic. Sure. Um, I will say on the outside looking in, I used to go to the guy's house all the time 
you know, for work and I would hear the family. And it's funny because there's some people who want to, there's some families who like swear they want to uphold the image of, let's just say perfection and control, but Mm -hmm. they, they're, they hate like what the child decides to be interested in, you know, yep. or like how it looks on the inside outside. And, and it's not peachy. Let long story short, I used to hear them argue and yell like the kid to the parents all the time. And I remember also focusing on why is she the only one at boarding school? You know, mm, like mm-hmm. is she the, is she the middle child yep. that, that just was the artistic one and they wanted to, uh, um, suffocate that or, 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 you know, dismiss it. And, and they didn't know how to deal with a person of, with that kind of creativity or maybe even high functioning autism, whether they're on the spectrum or, or because they weren't as culturally close minded as the parents, <laughs> I know that the parents are yeah. and they feel like that's just going to do it. I mean, there's an episode of uh, Sopranos. Remember when they were going to send AJ to military school? Yep. Yeah, that whole thing. There's these silly reasons why it comes up. And, and one of the silly ones is the parent thinking that they can't do it. So I don't think it's that they can do it. They don't want to. They're afraid. Yeah, they're not willing to try. They're not They're not willing to actually hear the side of their child and listen to their child. Yeah. And there, I think there's so, there are so many parents who don't kind of like connect to the idea that like if they had a a terrible childhood and the things they felt as a child, like their child is, is probably feeling a lot of the same things. There's, yeah. there's a lot of parents that just don't seem to want to make that connection. Yeah. That's like, you know what? Like maybe this kid feels like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm smothering them in some way or, or forcing them to do things that they don't want to do. And just like have, have some empathy for that. There's there's no way that never happened to these parents as a child where they didn't feel like, you know, oh, my my dad doesn't get me, blah, blah, blah. You know, amen. One hundred percent. Now, could we make the argument or the could we take the 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 support on um, Sarah's dad that his situation is a good reason for a boarding school? I mean, he's at war. It's, you know, back then he's going to war. Maybe he thinks he's doing the best he can you know the question comes up is there any other family that could have taken care of her mm-hmm. yeah true 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 and could we also because i know you have experience here or at least you're more familiar with it the way i'm familiar with it yeah if i'm correct you did not go to a private middle school or high school is that right yeah I, well i went to catholic school up until eighth grade Okay. So eighth grade was my first year of public school ever. Okay. So semi-similar. I went to Catholic school. Well, very similar. So I only went to Catholic school up until kindergarten. Okay. First grade. um, So I guess not similar. (laughs) Public school. But but I was familiar with the people who went to school, you know, here in Nashville. We have Father Ryan and St. Cecilia, which are, you know, some of the, the most more prominent you know, Catholic schools, but we could also say private schools. I think the closest that you and I had ever got to was hearing the stories or, or meeting kids yeah. that went to private schools. Yeah, I mean, there's de- there's definitely a vibe to private school. I think even even when I was at Catholic school in the 90s, there was still that sense of like some of the nuns 
are the ones who like will use corporal punishment or like there were there are nuns and teachers who would like if your desk was messy they would flip it over onto the floor and make you clean it up like all sorts <laughs> of like just wild shit that's like completely unnecessary and it's like you think this is okay to do this to like a seven-year-old i remember passing by the principal's office or going in there for non-trouble reasons like you know you need to fill a form or something and i I remember seeing the paddle on the wall hanging there and i was was like and the kids would whisper about oh so-and-so got paddled it's like even back then this is like we were talking about like 91 Mm -hmm. 92 yeah i just remember thinking you hit the kid you hit someone else's kid (laughs) like is that the world we live in but i mean i mean shit this country's done far worse Uh, yeah and some people still have that way of looking at the world and, and looking at this is this is how we teach our children. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, uh, I, again, I think that was a great little slice of nostalgia factor. I'm glad that we we both had the same romanticization, if that's the word, um, <laughs> of the idea of boarding school. Because right. I definitely it does it does kind of look like a fun adventure. You know, obviously you want the better side of it. You don't want the crap that they all went through yeah exactly yeah we talked about the stimulation story as i was happy that it highlighted that you know that's that's a big deal did you notice did you do you feel that there was a remember in terminator 2 john connor um oh whatever his edward furlong furlong ages in between the the whole shoot and they they have to like apparently they fixed his voice in adr oh yeah do you think that lisa matthews aged a little because i could have sworn watching it this time I was, I was curious. I wrote down, um, was there an aging between shots? Because I feel like at mm. the beginning, she's very little girly. And then there's like another shot where she's like almost, you know, not like she's just she's young girl, I guess. I didn't notice anything like that, but it could be like something they did with the way they like styled her hair. OK, maybe. Or the costuming. Maybe they tried to to make her appear younger in those initial scenes before she goes to the boarding school. Okay. Yeah. I, I felt as though there was a little bit of that. Uh, good job to them though, for fooling me. And again, another, that would have been good to know in the trivia that we found nothing about. <laughs> but yeah, who knows? Well, cause I did see in the original book, it, this, this story takes place over like three years in the original book. So I don't know. Well, that could make sense. Yeah, that could that could do it. Yeah. Now I wrote this down, but I don't know why. Okay. I wrote down. I imagined a different ending. Hmm. Like, yeah. did that mean you remembered it having a different ending, or? I think possibly. Huh. Yeah. In the book, her her father is just dead and doesn't come back. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure, um, but it's worth putting down for the record, just for the hell of it. Hmm. <laughs> I I wrote down uh, mentions chip question mark meaning like what is her deal <laughs> like why what is this chip on her shoulder what is up with this woman she's just miserable all the time yeah i was thinking there might be like some history between mention and sarah's mother because we know that sarah's mother used to go to the school so it's like that would have been that would have been good was she like a young was mentioned like still a young teacher when sarah's mother was there and sarah's mother was like always acting out and stuff you know something i don't know Mm -hmm. Hmm. um what's funny is you know with all the uh so (laughs) 
this might be silly, but you know, you're, you're one to decode my silliness. Sure. So of all the things that we just know are going on, like right now in the world and like shows, program stories we hear about. Yeah. I thought something funny. I said, okay, she knows French, uh-huh. right? Yep. We, her doll is named Emily and that doll is like special to her. A doll is important to her. Yep. And then I thought a lot of people are talking about this Emily in Paris. And then I, <laughs> I, I ignorantly was like, wait a minute. What if there is a little princess universe out there, you know? And then I don't know. I, I looked it up and it just says, uh, Emily in Paris follows Emily, a driven 20 something American from Chicago. Ah, Lisa, Lisa, the Pritzker connection. Yeah. The Pritzker. Yeah. Who moves to Paris for an unexpected job opportunity. She is tasked with bringing an American point of view to venerable French marketing firm. Cultures clash as he adjusts to the challenges of life in Paris while juggling her new career, friendships, and love life. So, huh. uh, you know. Yeah, it's all part of the same cinematic universe. <laughs> I just had to say it. I just, you know, it was just, it was interesting. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe that, uh, maybe the guy secretly made it about that doll and doesn't want any of us to know. Maybe. Thank yeah, you. Thank, gonna... thank you for taking me along on that journey. You're welcome. Thanks for coming, man. I appreciate it. Anytime. Uh, I just want to make some comments. I really love the black balloon that popped. Yes. Remember that? That was a great moment. Yeah. Love the black balloon. I guess that could have been in, in circle takes. Yeah. I'll take it back. That black balloon pop is in my circle take. Whoa. Oh, and then I wrote down messages by telegram. That whole concept. I mean... That's how they spoke back. That was their email. I know. You could still send telegrams. You just have to uh, go to a website to send them now. Yeah. Go through a lot of stuff to do them. Yep. I think I'm going to send you one. I'm going to go to the Western Union. I'm going to figure out how to send you one. I don't think there is a Western (laughs) Union anymore. Is there? Yeah, you can still send money. Yeah, but not telegrams. Not through Western Union. Oh, okay. We'll find out. And then I just wrote down Sarah the Optimist um, as just a positive. Not my casting. Who could play the Sarah role? Oh, let's see. Uh, it depends if we keep them the same age. Are we keeping them the same age? Hmm. I would say like around the same age, you know. Okay. Well, then I got nothing for you. Got nothing. <laughs> yeah. There was one kid in some show I saw recently. And, uh, well, now I'm going to just live in the, 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 the Latino world. Yeah. And she was like, I was like, Oh wow. That's just like, wow. She actually stands out for a child actress. It's hmm. pretty good, but I don't remember who it was. And that's, eh, that could say a lot of bad or good, but I was going to say the reason I asked age was for a moment. If we take, um, our girl, let's just double check. What about name, if you're so. casting for 1995? Oh, oh. no, I could see, I could see like, Tia, oh, I know. Tia or Tamara, one of one of the two. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but maybe they were already in their teens by then. I don't know. They were a smidge older, but I don't know about teens. Okay, I'll, I'll answer your question. But to to cap mine off, I was gonna say if we were changing the ages a little bit, which it could work, just gotta change the story a little too. Uh, I was gonna say Gina Rodriguez from Jane the Virgin. Um, I don't know why, but I feel like I see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going back to your question, 95. So let's get her name because I'll tell you who it could have been. And it was around. The, it was probably the same year, too. Ah, Rebecca Lee Meza. Hmm. Uh, who? Jesus, she only did the one movie. 
I thought she was good. She, it's memorable to me because I could still see her in the movie. So I'm, I'm talking about the girl who played young Selena in the 97 movie, Selena. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. She was a great Latina actress, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess only the world can wonder because I thought she did well. She, I don't know. She, something about her really stood out uh, the way she did that. And it, I mean, it goes big for the category, um, yeah. you know, non-white casting, like opportunities for actors of color who got either very limited ones or none at all. And, and like now the world will never know. So, um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Or why not have uh, Vanessa Lee Chester, who played Becky, play the Sarah role? Now, that's interesting. If we switch the whole dynamic here and we just forget. Well, it's kind of hard to do that. But Joe, do you remember Ray with Jamie, Jimmy, Jamie Foxx? Yep. About Ray Charles, of course. Yeah. So that's one of my favorites. Um, the The actress who played his mother. And she's another great example of just a tragedy of not casting. She was a an unknown. Mm-hmm. And to this day, sadly, because if you go and rewatch that, you will be moved. Her name is Sharon Warren. And it's kind of hard to believe, but she hasn't had anything since 2006. And you just got to wonder, like, what happened to her? But huh. if you remember Ray, yeah, she was incredible in Ray. And I thought of, like... It would be just just from an, an actor's perspective, what we mm-hmm. think we know another actor's range is capable of. Yeah. I think she could have actually been a good Miss Minchin. Oh. That would have been kind of that would have been kind of cool. But then we switch up the da- the dynamic tremendously. And it's fine because this, this movie isn't about race. It's I guess more so about class, right? They pretty much treat well, some of them treat Sarah exactly the same as they treat Becky once she loses mm-hmm. her money. Yeah. Though before Sarah came into the picture, they all didn't seem to treat Becky very well. So, or they they were told not to talk to her and all that. So, I don't know. It would kind of change the dynamic. Mm-hmm. Whether whether someone's just accepted into the fold because of the money that they have, even though they're a person of color, you know. I mean, that kind of stuff still happens to this day, where where people are looked at differently, maybe just because they have money. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting conversation because it makes you think like, do you remember the controversy where they said a there was a famous, uh, not famous, but a, a, a well-known executive in Hollywood that suggested uh, uh, Julia Roberts should play Harriet Tubman? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? That whole snafu that happened just a few years ago. Yeah. So it makes you wonder, like, when we take a piece like this and we know when it took place and we know that it's at least following the rules of the era, maybe not of release, but of the era it takes place. Yeah. The question is, well, do we stay within the bounds of reality from that time? Uh Uh-huh. Are we being progressive just to be progressive? Is it... Maybe not the question is, is it right, but should it be done? Mm. Is it also okay the way it is? And if it was redone, does it make sense to do it that way? Because you and I highlighted earlier what we are happy that they at least did not do with Becky's character. Right. You know, so it's it's tough. I got to say, like the liberal progressive in me does want to say, like, whoa, what should it matter? And and all of that. Well, I, I guess I guess. But like. Maybe it's not necessarily about the elements that make it up, yeah. but how they're executed. And yeah. I think it it is worth, you know, applauding that they did not 
they could have used uh, derogatory words, mm-hmm. you know, in, and they didn't say the word slave. They said servant. You know, they, it could have gone a few different ways. You, you do. You really got to wonder what some of the creative suit meetings were like about the movie yeah. um, and who fought for what, um, which yeah, be worth revisiting in the future if we ever found something on it. But again, I mean, those are that's where I get a little like unsure about doing it. You know, I, I, I threw out there about Sharon Warren being able to play the mentioned character. Mm-hmm. But then we're in, we're inside of a universe where where race doesn't matter. Or that it's like a black boarding school because it would have been exactly. segregated at that time anyway. Exactly. Who would the servant be in a black boarding school? Maybe just a uh, person of color who doesn't have the same money that the the other students do. I don't know. Yeah, because they kind of equalized that with Sarah. She was a person of their preferred color right. at the boarding school. Yeah, I mean, it's not like there ain't poor white people out there. We've seen that. No, I've never seen a poor white person. You're right. <laughs> yeah, so Maybe someone should I, look into that. That is a curious thing. No poor white people out there. What's up with that? <laughs> no, it's. Uh, do you agree that this is actually a bit challenging as far as the um, the uh, non-white casting goes? Well, race is, is like has always been tied into class in some way, too. And so... Mm-hmm. When you have a movie that's about class to some degree, you can't just erase the racial elements. So you can't just do like color colorblind casting mm-hmm. because then that kind of like takes something away from like this time period. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if you were to set this movie in in 2022, then you can do different things. But like mm-hmm. if you're like in 1915 or 1916 or whenever this movie set, like... Yeah, all of that stuff you got to think about. Yeah, I think that we're we're at a certain capacity here of what what we could, you know, d- shift mm-hmm. for this category or for this shot. So we could say the non-white casting could be at the extent of just the little girls. Yeah. Um, and maybe well, then we really start splitting hairs with like darker and lighter skin but even that right there stimulates its own story i mean there's yeah you know in in different uh cultures you know there's like white passing what they say mm-hmm. about uh people who are um yeah, in the latin community or even the asian community and then black and black has um light skin and dark skin that's always been a uh, a thing you know that that can divide and separate uh but i don't know would that be worth executing here as a slice would that be worth you know putting in putting into play yeah uh, it's it's kind of or or we get just multicultural with it right <laughs> and uh the servant is a another a person of color from from overseas i don't know it, it it's 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 tough for me i'm not sure which version we are recasting here yeah I guess we would be recasting this version, but but even then, what it what it means for the story and and all of the implications behind it. Exactly. So we're re- so we're doing a recasting of this version, and then and then we're doing a recasting that changes the whole story a little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Um, I will say, you know, I'll agree with you that there are there were other actresses out there that young actresses out there who probably could have done it. Although I, I don't know. I don't know if it was needed or necessary on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, that that's where I stand there. I, I can't, I think I could agree to suggestion. I just don't know 
how much of that would impact the whole thing. Yeah. What do you th- what do you think? Yeah, I think that's why this shot exists. It's why we have it here to mm-hmm. to think about this kind of stuff. Because hmm. you know, white is still very much the default. So, and I know it was in 1995 too. So mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes into all this stuff. And maybe maybe the the extent could have been like you said earlier with a um, keeping the mother character alive and having her be Indian or or even I don't know making the father Indian and the mother white. Right. Yeah, because even like the dead mother is another trope of like yeah. women in fridges, they call it. So mm-hmm. just like having having a, a dead woman to uh, motivate uh, another character's journey. That's that's a trope that happens all over the place. What about women in freezers? No, we don't, we don't put women in freezers. Only fridges? Yeah. <laughs> Damn, Hollywood. <laughs> I know. Makes me want to go to a freezer. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about theme. Themes uh, in this movie and in any movie, I guess. Chris, what would would you say is the theme of this movie? What's what's like a a one-sentence mantra or lesson or idea that this movie is trying to get across? Alone in the world. <laughs> uh, loss. Loss is a good broad strokes. At least it fits in the, the keywords of it all. Yeah, but those are, those are really more like topics. I mean, like what's what's like the statement that this movie's trying to make? <clears throat> Anything is possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think about like the line is repeated over and over again. All girls are princesses, right? Oh. Uh. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, they are. Yeah. And so, I mean, you you don't identify as a girl, but you still enjoy this movie. Um, Yeah. So I I feel like every time they say that and like every time we see that on screen, it's kind of giving the idea of like everyone should be given respect and dignity. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's I feel like that's what's coming across. Because uh, in that scene I was talking about earlier as my circle take where Sarah stands up to Miss Minchin. Miss Minchin kind of says something like, it's a cruel, nasty world out there. It's our job to be useful. Like, this is this is what a girl's place in the world is. It's our job just to be useful, you know, basically to serve. And a lot of a lot of screenwriters call that kind of like the antagonist aria. Which means like this is the opposite idea, which is like held up against the theme, which is like either like everyone should be treated with respect or know your place in the world. Just be useful, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason why I love that scene so much is it's it's pitting those two ideas against each other. Uh, It's communicating them really well. And the direction of that scene is is really good. I don't know if you remember this, but at the start of the scene, the camera's like angled down on Sarah to make her look small, and it's the camera's angled up when we cut to mention to make her yep. look powerful. And then when Sarah starts saying, "All girls are princesses," didn't your father ever tell you that? Didn't he? Then the camera booms down on Sarah. And the camera booms up on Minchin, which like looks, you know, visually it puts them at the same level. Now they're on equal footing. Now she's going toe to toe. 
the theme is coming across and like these two ideas are really going to battle. And I thought that was such it's invading her. Exactly. It's such good direction. It's like the only time that we see mentioned be vulnerable because it's like a part of her knows it's true. Right. Mm hmm. Like, I, I think she wishes that she could feel like a princess, that she could be respected. And I think even someone watching this, you know, even if they don't identify as a girl, they don't feel like a princess, they still like get that feeling like, yeah, we should be treated well. We shouldn't have to we shouldn't have to live like Minchin does. Yeah, it's it's feminism. Yeah, it's feminism. It's I mean, I, I think it applies to anyone who, who watches this movie. I think it's universal. Because I, I think like, you know, as a young boy, you probably felt some of it, too, in some way, even if you couldn't put your finger on it. Yeah, I think that we can both relate to the bad behavior of the 90s when it was made fun of for liking something that was not masculine. For example, this is this would be a perfect movie mm -hmm. where you could do that. Like it's kind of it's kind of like when. If you tell somebody and we're just talking about like just generalizations out there, you know, like, well, I like Star Trek people for some reason, society always just kind of like, <clears throat> you know, they just kind of yep. they smirk or they, they laugh a little bit or they, they do like the the geek thing with the fake glasses. <laughs> you nerd. Uh, you like Star Trek. Right. But then and, and there's there's. I guess it's a trope or behavior of, you know, like little boys. Okay. For example, I remember I saw the movie Babe in the theater, in the movie theater. Yep. And I remember having a conversation with somebody around that time. And this was the 90s. Someone said, uh, oh, what movie did you go see? And I said, Babe. And they kind of laughed because I guess to them, I'm supposed to always watch He-Man, you know, uh -huh. or some some action movie. But I saw Babe and, right. you know, it used to be what comes to mind is my favorite. Um, those campaigns, those great commercial campaigns, like the truth ones, you know, about the cigarette smokers and and the, the Dove one yeah. where they said run in place. And then they tell the boys and the girls, OK, now run like a girl. You remember that one? I don't remember that one. Oh, man. You're missing out. So Dove did this this campaign where they just had little kids in, in on a blank slate, and they were they were telling them, uh, you know, run in place, mm -hmm. and they and they ran in place, and then they would tell was the boys in the nineties or more recent. This was in the last ten years. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. And they said, now run like a girl. And the guy, the little boys would you know like flail their arms or be weak or just do these these silly. Um, uh, stereotypes yep. of what a girl is supposed to run like yeah. and some of the girls did the same mm. and some of the young girls ran the same originally right like because they didn't say run like a boy at the beginning they just said run in place yep. and i just remember how powerful that was and you know hats off to dove but it just it goes to show you that just because you know and then this is this is just fusing what you just said about essentially being yourself and, yeah. and loving who you are and, and yourself that um, I remember feeling a little, I don't know, not down or like sad because someone made fun of me for seeing Babe. Mm -hmm. But I'm just glad that I was always self-aware to be confident and not let that like I didn't go home and cry because of that. Yeah. I've gone home and cried because of dumber things or sillier things. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible how fragile, you know, the human spirit can be and how cruel other people can be. Yeah. And if you put that on somebody and you, you make fun of them for seeing a movie that they're interested in, you could also stifle any 
express expression or, or, or emotional growth in that person for the rest of their lives because they were traumatized and scarred by your ridicule, by your stupid, silly ridicule. When deep down inside you, this person who's chastising them is probably into, you know, dolls and you don't want to admit it because dolls are a man or right. a boy should not be interested in dolls. Yeah, you know, blue is, pink yeah it's all bullshit. just made up ideas it's all just this gender construct. Social constructs. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, no, anyone can enjoy any movie. There's a certain age where like it kind of like seeps in this like self-consciousness about, oh, is am I supposed to be watching this? Is this for me? Oh, this is this isn't for me. Like, you know, like I grew up watching Mary Kate and Ashley movies and I loved them. And I, I didn't I never thought like Oh, I'm a boy. I'm a boy. I'm not supposed to watch this, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure there was a certain point where I like stopped watching them myself because I was like, these are for girls. Yeah. And I think the best thing you can do at that age to sort of console support someone else and even defend your own views and and defend your your confidence and knowing is who who you are Mm -hmm. is. Whenever like the discussion of the movie came up, not not that it came up in circles of young boys because yeah. it, it just didn't. But if it's happened to in any situation, I didn't shy away at saying like, oh, I saw it. Oh, I liked it. It was pretty good. Um, I think what's important is when you encounter or meet someone else, when you have that sort of, you know, sort of like, oh, this person get it gets it. They're one of us or they're one of me. Yeah. I'm sure you and I had plenty of those moments in our friendship. But you can what you can do is embrace the 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 empathy with that person if they said they like it in in this situation it would be a boy and then you tell you know your guy friend like dude I love that fucking movie and then you just you immediately sadly we have to get to this but that person immediately feels like they have to put these walls down Mm -hmm. that were up for social construct reasons exactly and and be able to gush about how much they love the movie and be quote unquote feminine or or not masculine but again things that still somewhat matter unreasonably but never should have and we're all learning how to let those things go be better about it be embraceive of that sort of mentality but what's funny is and i brought the star trek one up because to this day still happens to me i'll say it and (laughs) you just you just get a smirk in the room but you know what i think I'm ready if if it gets attacked. Yeah. But I don't take it personal or it or in, in invasive um as a reaction. Yeah. You know? And if we were in this like in this situation talking about a little princess, if someone made fun of it, that's when you you need to get defensive, stand up and talk about these sorts of things to like really sober people up. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the lingering smirk or look is going to stick around. Yeah. And it did for, for liking this one and same with watching babe in the theater alone and, uh, uh, and other random things, you know? Um, yeah. Boy, it's just cause it's a little princess doesn't mean a boy can't like it. You know, like we love movies and we love what we, how they did it. I mean, like, yeah. Dedicated like damn near two hours about it already. So I'm with you a hundred percent. And, uh, I don't know if I tied up any of those loose ends correctly, but that's how I feel. No, and I think, yeah, I think that's why there's there's such power to uh, the direction in this movie. Obviously, the, the writing ties into it, too, but I feel, I feel like it's putting forth a strong theme, a strong idea. 
and yeah, there's you know the some some parts of it that, that that don't hold up, but I feel like for its time, it was executed very well, directing wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so producer's corner. I mean, this is definitely a project I would have wanted to be 100 um, percent creative producing on with, you know, I want I would I would want to have been involved with the director, with the the cast, with everything, just like everything, because it would have spoken to me. I would have asked a lot of questions. It, it's, it would have sparked so much discussion, but I think it would have all been in an effort to to yes and and plus something and and just add on. You know, like, what if we did it this way? Mm-hmm. Not in direct contrast to like what the intentions are going in, but just to offer, like, hey, I'm so with you on this. I just want to contribute other options, you know, yeah. uh, to to spark interest of the other creatives as well. I think that uh, looking at this one on this viewing, I definitely was paying attention to how it was shot mm-hmm. and what went into it. I feel like this was on a lot. I feel like this was on a soundstage. I don't think there was much location shooting here. Even the street scenes outside, they felt contained. It didn't feel like a world that was location scouted. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, what do you think? Do you think this was shot like on a on a on a warrant a lot? And, you know, time period period pieced it up to make it look of the era. I think it was shot on a lot. I think even that opening shot you were talking about, uh, where the camera. Kind of like uh, pan hovers over the head and stuff, right? It, where it's kind of like a, on a crane shot, I guess. Even that felt like it was on a studio lot where they just had like a a swimming pool they filled up or something. I don't know. Yeah, I remember looking at the back backdrop in one of the street scenes, and I I wondered, I was like, wow, that's that's either a great illustration because you know they they would draw those mm-hmm. those matte backgrounds. <laughs> that's either great illustration or they took some of that dragon cgi and used it for that i I don't know but it looked wonderful and it it did have me second guessing whether or not it was uh on a lot you know and and what was the budget again because it didn't didn't make it back until the video budget was 17 million 17 mil yeah yeah i think a lot of it went into the production design for sure some of those those shots of the what did i call them turret turrets 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 Turrets, yeah. Um, it was a lot of that sort of vast, like medium wide shots of the atmosphere and and the the town, not the town, but like the city, and, and they were in like early Manhattan. Um, yep. It was it was pretty. It was beautiful. So it was, it was very visual. Uh, very, I don't know. As much time as they spent on those on those wider shots of of, of the the environment, it also just it didn't. It just kind of went right back into this huge tall ceilinged you know building with these mm-hmm. these rooms back then like it's it's I always am fascinated by the period pieces of how much space people had back then or what what early designers deemed was enough space for a person or a family right you know it was pretty big it was pretty damn big Sarah's room is bigger than many apartments I've had you know yeah even even Sarah's room in the attic was bigger than yeah. my studio apartment in LA so yeah 
Yeah, so yeah, they throw her in the attic, and I'm like, "Hey, this place is not bad. It's got a big window, uh-huh. nice view of the street." This is definitely. I think we need to revisit the option of of mini part two catch ups on some episodes, where if you and I find a director's commentary track and we felt like watching it, we could go back and talk about some of the stuff they spoke Maybe. about. Because this is the kind of film we would want to get more notes from production on. Yeah. For sure. So again, you know, just for producers' corner, a, a marvelous, a marvelous execution, great execution overall. Uh, I, I think I'll, I don't have too much in producers' corner on this one because the the majority of this is just more on story and and questions, which you know we're getting into questionable questions here, and yep. just beautiful shots. I feel like overall, I would have embraced the personality of Koran. He just seems to be, from his other films, he seems to be very cerebral. He likes to dive deep into emotion and sentiment of heart and mind. And he, I think he tries to, he tries to visualize a feeling mm-hmm. and he does that really well. Oh, yeah. You know, in Gravity, his, his themes have always sort of been like a solitude, like a solo, be like being in your own head and being your own person mm-hmm. um, in that journey. And, and that's, that's, that's just his theme all around. And I uh, absolutely love it. Questionable questions. So we touched on this a little bit. We, we know that uh, Sarah's mom attended this school. And then, like I said, I was wondering if if there was a history with Miss Minchin. And so this thought crossed my mind. Here's my question. Did Miss Minchin kill Sarah's mother? <laughs> wow, Sean. Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I think she would. I was like, I was like waiting for a murder mystery to like unfold. No, but it would have been fascinating to find out if there was a rooted connection with her mother and Minchin. But I don't think they're enough age. I don't think they're enough years apart. Yeah, I think Minchin probably went to school there too, and she just ended up being a teacher and and working there rather than like moving on and having a life. Yeah, that's another thing. Is like what. What age does this does this school go to? Because it seemed like mm-hmm. the mom was older, right? Yeah, but it, I did, we didn't see any older girls running around the school. It seemed like the oldest were like twelve or something, right? And that could have been from either, uh, you know, lack of funds on production. Maybe they they there was a whole another wing dedicated to the middle school. Maybe or or it could have just been generational where they only had them you know, one class for 10 years or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, back then it took a longer time to travel, right. To get to places and people were gone for a lot longer. And I mean, from what I understand, some boarding schools, they put them away all the way through an entire high school career, you know? Well, yeah. And, and back then there weren't even a lot of women going to college. So I don't know exactly like how many years of education a girl or, or a woman was, was given at that time. Yeah. Very good question. Very good question. You know what we got to do now? We got to read the book. <laughs> got to read the book. Then we can do a podcast on the book. That's right. Bookcast uh, from 1888. Uh, yeah, my, my answer is I don't think so. But I enjoy the question. <laughs> All right. Come at me. All right. Uh, I feel like we... Okay, I'll just ask it. Do you think mention was projecting onto Sarah because that's who she once was. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. 
I think she just went down the other path. She went down she went down the path that Sarah was starting to go down after she learns her father dies, which is like there is no magic in this world, like there is no joy that I should have. I'm alone, right? I'm alone in this now. And maybe Minchin had to like, because we know Minchin had a sister. Maybe Minchin felt like she had to raise her sister when even Minchin was a child herself. Like, there's there's something going on where I'm like, I want I want to see the Minchin prequel. I want to see this happen. You can't see it, but I'm pointing my finger, <laughs> pointing my finger at Sean in the video right now. Yes, 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 and yes, I yes. That's what I think. I agree. I'm right there. I want to know. There's something going on. She's she's sort of it feels like she's carrying around an unneeded, unnecessary guilt of raising her sister with her. Yep. But the sister doesn't even want to be there. Sister. Yeah. She's not good at it. She's complaining about. Remember, she goes like, oh, you remembering all these useless facts and she's never going to use, know. you know, and it takes little Sarah to stimulate her her thinking of this milkman, you know, whisking her away. And she does it. She goes pretty quick. You know? Yeah. Back to your you mentioned something about mentioned possibly um the possible like murder mystery, <laughs> if that was a thing. <laughs> if that was a thing. You gotta wonder, like they didn't add any elements of mention doing anything suspicious. Yeah. You know, she didn't have like some ledger that she was you know hiding money in mm-hmm. or some scheme on the side it was it seemed to be internal um and she chose to be as all stuck up as she was and sarah almost cracked that and once she you know complacency can be very poisonous sometimes yeah and i think that uh that's why i asked you about projecting if you know maybe she was so distant from this mindset for such a long time it, it brought her tremendous fear mm. to, to meet it again mm-hmm. I do kind of remember there was some mention of after Sarah's father is presumed dead, Minchin says something about like all the debt that Sarah has put her in. Yeah. That was like another reason why I thought maybe she ends up on the street at the end is because she's in a bunch of debt, but it's not really said. It's not really said aloud. Right. Yeah. And, and, and she has, like elements of humanity. Remember when she tells her, you know, your father and she stutter steps like three times, your father's dead. And that's the reality. I mean, she, there was a little, it's like, there was what Sarah was doing was like removing the pile of snow on this, on this, this surface of this person Mm -hmm. who used to be. And, and good. I mean, sometimes it, it, it can be a little damaging in relationships or friendships. You have to push a little bit to sort of get the person to to see something. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's risky. Exactly. So I had another question for you. Go ahead. Do you, but you have to, you have to really remember the scene. If not, you should pull it up just in case. So okay. it's when, it's when um, uh, Sarah um, insults Lavinia by saying even snobby nose little girls like you uh-huh. remember the birthday yep. if you if you notice actually right after that they go wide shot before chevalier comes in and she goes we're gonna give you a big piece lavinia like i don't know if you heard that it was a it was a, a voiceover but they imply that you know sarah wants to give her a big piece of cake just to kind of like rub in how nice she's being to uh-huh. her uh, but the question i have was right after she says that the doorbell rings and mention is about to say something to sarah what do you think she was gonna say 
Hmm. I think it's worth you pulling up. I think I know what you're I think I know what you're talking about. And I think like she's about to like chastise Sarah for what she said to Lavinia, because there's no way she would like let that slide. Well, that's why I ask. I, I don't know. I think that let me, let me pull up the scene for sure, though. Let me see. Oh, yeah. I think mentions about to tell her to be nice to Lavinia. Yeah, but you don't think a piece of mention acknowledges that Sarah's right, though? I mean, because she's always reluctant to to admit that Sarah's right. Same with she schooled her on knowing French. She schooled her on like her intelligence, on um, on everything that she wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, period. Even on the princess thing. And on this one, it just looks like you don't think it looks like she's about to almost kind of you know when a parent wants to hold their ground and be like I'm the adult, uh-huh. but then like they want to also laugh because wow that was a good burn. It's almost like she wanted to be like it's pretty good, Sarah, but fuck you, you know. <laughs> you don't you don't think that there was you didn't see that because it it almost she almost looked tired when she was about to deliver the Sarah. Well, that may be true, you know. It's mm. I feel like for a second she might have been on Sarah's side. That's why I was asking, because it looks it just doesn't look like she's about to say, Sarah, I hate you. You know, like, well, it, it doesn't look like she's about to match the consistent attitude towards Sarah. It just uh, looks like there was going to be a break. No, I, you don't think so. I feel like mention is always on Team Lavinia. Uh, I don't know. Really? Yeah. I don't think she's been on her team at all. Because like Lavinia is like, you know, prim and proper and follows the rules and blah. And, and Lavinia is making fun of Sarah for being a princess. And and we know that Minchin feels the same way. Minchin doesn't think that Sarah should be treated like a princess. So And it's actually not Sarah's fault. It's a little girl who says, I told them you were a princess. That's true. Yeah. So it's that little girl in the hallway's fault for everything. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I thought she was the same actress as the daughter in Hook, but it's it's not the same actress. She looks a little bit like yeah. she'd be way too young. One more question, actually. Wow, uh, or you've maybe, got you've maybe got many two. questions today. Well, what what else, what else do you think could have been Minchin's shoulder chip? What the hell's going on with her? Um, uh, maybe she had uh, an absent father or absent parents. Because when she, when Sarah asks her that question, didn't your father ever tell you that, didn't he? I think it's pretty clear that that no one ever did. Told exactly. Yeah. No one. No one ever treated Mention with respect. No one ever told her that she's a princess. And, and adults in general, commonly, do not like acknowledging being schooled by a younger person. Well, a much younger person, especially kids. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very reluctant to admit that. Um, so there was definitely some of that going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last and final one, I, I made it, uh, I asked it earlier. I didn't get the dream sequence of her in the snow globe. This is before the, the fake to real food came out and they were in a nice, beautiful room that the the Indian servant magically put out there. But there's a scene just a little bit before that where she's at the window. It's got music going. Mm-hmm. I call it a dream sequence. You know, she raises her arms. His arms are raised and there's like snow inside of a room. I didn't under like, was that just like the journey of her coming back to being the optimist and the, the you know, this this dreamer? Like, I'm not yeah, sure what that was that's about. That's another one of those moments where I'm like, this is like a white girl embracing her Indian culture. Or like what Hollywood's idea of Indian culture is. It's, it's kind of like a weird 
gray area thing that yeah i took i took uh-huh. it to mean like she's embracing the magic again or whatever uh-huh. but she but she's like bowing and doing all of this stuff and i'm like what's going on here i don't remember the bowing i was trying to find the time code she uh yeah i someone needs to explain that one to me because that was interesting the um score in this was incredible too didn't acknowledge mm-hmm. whoever scored the film all the tracks are composed by Patrick Doyle. Three of the tracks feature soloists, also using the film. They use the New London Children's Choir. So shout out to Patrick Doyle, Scottish film composer. Carlito's Way, Hamlet, mm. Harry Potter, Planet of the Apes, Cinderella, Murder on the Orient Express, Thor. He's got some... He's got uh, some big credits. He's got some, got some works. Yeah. Henry V, Donnie Brasco. Wow. Wow. Yes. Bridget Jones diary. He's got a lot. Yeah. Well, anyway, I guess that can wrap it up. Um, Just remember, Sean, all girls are princesses. And to that, I say all people are princesses. All people are princesses. 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 All right. Well, this has been Circle Takes. I guess I should have asked if you had any final thoughts or notes. Nope. And I loved it. Beautiful.